Testament scripture reading is from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. God, our Heavenly Father, who sets the lonely in families, we commend to your continual care the homes in which your people dwell. Put far from them, we ask you, every root of bitterness, the desire of vainglory, and the pride of life. Fill them with faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, and godliness. Knit together in constant affection those who in holy wedlock have been made one flesh. Turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers. And so enkindle fervent love among us all, that we may always be kind and affectionate with brotherly love. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with you all. It's a delight to be with you this Lord's Day evening. I invite you to open your Bible to Psalms 139. Psalm 139. If you do not have a copy of the scriptures handy, the printout of the sermon text I will use is found in your worship order. And you may follow along there. We are coming to the end of a mini-series on the gospel according to Psalms. If you are just joining us, that means that we have been looking at a few of the Psalms and trying to see what the Psalms, which are poems and songs in the Old Testament, what those songs and prayers tell us about the good news of Jesus Christ. And today we come to Psalm 139, which is well known in Christian circles because it speaks about the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and also because it touches on the very sensitive issue of the sanctity of life. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday in the United States of America. Forty-six years ago this week, the Supreme Court of the United States issued a decision to legalize abortion in our country. Eleven years after that infamous decision, President Ronald Reagan declared January 22nd 
National Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and ever since, evangelicals and Catholics and other pro-life groups have respected and honored this day as a time to both protest the decision of the Supreme Court, but also to promote life. This day was selected because this is the date in history upon which abortion was legalized in the United States. Since that time in 1973, more than 50 million babies have perished in their mother's wombs. This is a tragic story of the blood that is on the hands of the United States of America. And while we see these numbers declining in recent years, uh, we still know that there is much work to do. Now, I know that that's a very, so, uh, very somber and sober way to uh, open a sermon. And now that I've put all of us in a ditch and in a hole, I hope by God's grace and mercy to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ and bring you back out of it again. This is not going to be a political tirade. This is not going to be a sermon uh, with fangs and claws. That's not my intent in bringing that to your awareness. I simply bring that up as an introduction into Psalm 139 because of the beauty of what the psalmist tells us about his experience in the world from the womb up until the time he wrote the psalm. So earlier this year, when I was planning out the preaching schedule, I circled this date on the calendar because I wanted to preach from uh, this psalm, and I knew that the two would go hand in hand together. Psalm 139 is a classic go-to text for pro-life people, anti-abortion people. Uh, They love to go to this text. And I'm going to tell you why it's good on one hand to do that, and why it's not enough on the other in just a moment. And so if you are willing and able, I want to encourage you to stand for the reading of God's holy word as I read from Psalm 139, verses 7 through 17. And the word of God reads, Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word. And all the church says, you may be seated. 
In our congregation in recent months, we have experienced the joy of families receiving new children into their life. And we've been able to relive the experience of watching parents wrestle with their children and enjoy sleepless nights and the struggles that come along with trying to get children up and and growing. The people of God have always been a life-affirming people throughout Scripture, throughout history. This is what the people of God do. We live by the Spirit of God who is the Lord and the giver of life. And we know that there is no place we can go to escape the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's no place that far. Everywhere we go, the Spirit of God is either going with us or He meets us there. And so we know the joys of life and we know what it's like to bring children into the world and welcome them and to watch them grow. We're a pro-life kind of people, but again, not in the political sense. That's not where I'm going with that, as you will see in just a moment. I also want you to know, for those of you who might have had an experience in your life, perhaps an experience of heartbreak, perhaps you've lost children, perhaps you were even a part of making a decision to terminate a pregnancy or uh, to be a part of that, the grief and the sorrow that comes along with it. Please know up front that we're not here to smash your teeth and to open old wounds. That's not my goal here. I actually want to do something far more hopeful than that. And so please don't hear me as a rabid fire and brimstone preacher just coming down on you hard. No, I want you, I want you to see that there is hope in the gospel for you. There is life in Christ for you and for others who have violated God's law and others who have not promoted life as they should. So please hear me clearly. Uh, What you're about to hear is said in love. There's no attack. There's no tooth and fang and claw uh, with this. But simply the love of Christ extended to you. As I said earlier, Psalm 139 is the classic go-to text for pro-life kind of people. The psalmist delights in the Lord for his creative work in forming him and knitting him together and making him and weaving him together in his mother's womb. I can't remember that far back, but somehow he knew what was going on. Perhaps the spirit illumined him so that he could make sense of all of that. Keep in mind, he didn't have all the technology, the sonograms and the the cool books and magazines that you all have. So somehow he knew what was happening there. And he delighted in what God was doing. Our mother Eve at the very beginning was called the mother of all the living. And all of our mothers who happen to be her daughters are the life bearers without whom none of us would be here. The human race depends upon the sacrifice and service of women who have brought us into the world. My mother sitting right up here in the front. uh, Always proud of everything I do. I've made no mistakes in her eyes. But... uh, She was a life giver to me. And as you look around and see your mothers and your children see their mothers, that's what's going on. These are the women who brought life, brought your life into the world and they've made real sacrifices for you. Well, David's delighting in that. He's delighting in what God was doing. The psalmist does something fabulous here. He personalizes and humanizes the experience of of gestation as he contemplates the stages of gestation, his experience of moving from an embryo to a fetus to a not yet born baby 
being shaped by the hands of the Spirit of God in his mother. He's a child who is being formed and shaped in the image and likeness of God. And he celebrates that and he rejoices in knowing that those are his roots. Human life is sacred and it's special because the Lord God declared it to be so. And because the Lord God puts his money where his mouth is, so to speak, he devotes himself to both its protection and to its preservation. And that's part of what the psalmist is celebrating here. So again, when I first started thinking about the fact that I'm going to preach Psalm 139 and its sanctity of life Sunday. Initially, and this is what pastors do, it's the easy way out. It's the lazy way out. Initially, I thought I'm just going to preach a typical Sanctity of life sermon, complete with all of the facts and figures. And wow, everyone, like he read something on the Internet. Wikipedia served him well this week. But a family in our church had a baby. And I went to the hospital and saw the baby. And a few weeks ago, a friend of mine, who's not a part of our church, had a baby. And my wife and I went and visited that baby and held the baby and Thinking about just the miracle of life. And thinking about the fact that these children have come into the world and they have a long way to go now. Right? They have a long way to go. They have a long way to go. And it struck me again and again through the course of the week that there is so much more to being pro-life than just what happens at the womb level. All human life is sacred. All human life is sacred from womb to tomb. And that's what I want you to think about this evening. We must be pro-life. We must be anti-abortion for theological and ethical, biological and cultural reasons. All of that is true, not taking anything away from it. But I want to be very clear about something. I want to be very clear that being pro-life is not enough. Being pro-life is not enough. It's not enough if it's just a political stance or if it's a theoretical position or if it's just a moral posture that someone takes. It's not enough to have that idea in your head. It has to be worked out in your life. So to be truly pro-life, we need to promote the sanctity of life, the dignity of life, the liberty of life in every human life from womb to tomb. From unborn babies in the womb to immigrant children at the border. To refugees in the cities. To single moms in our neighborhoods. To elderly people in our nursing homes. To junkies dying in the alley. That's what it means to be pro-life. Is to consider the full range of human experience. And to be concerned about all of it. About everyone across the board. We must be pro-life in all the stages of life. From the youngest to the oldest. From the most able to the least able. From the poorest to the wealthiest. From the undocumented immigrant to the birth certified citizen. From Republicans to Democrats and even Libertarians, whoever you are. And much more could be added to this list. So, yeah, I'm trying to get under your skin a little bit. I'm trying to get under your skin a little bit. I want to challenge your presuppositions. You claim to be pro-life, but 
Are you pro-life across the board? How does it work itself out in the daily activity of your life? That's what we're concerned about here. Now, you might think, well, this guy has a bee in his bonnet. But I want to put your mind at ease that what I've said to you just now is simply a summary of what you find in the law of God. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, we find a chapter in the law of God that highlights for us the sanctity of life. And it shows us that the sanctity of life is based on the Lord and formed by the law and motivated by love. I want you to listen with your ears and listen with your hearts to the law of God from Leviticus 19. Here are a few excerpts to give you a taste of what I'm talking about. You shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. I am the Lord, your God. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord, your God. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear the Lord your God. I am the Lord. You shall not do injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. You shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. All of that came from Leviticus 19. You can go back and read it and find that there's even more that I didn't reference. But all of that is to say that God himself is the one who establishes for us the principle of the sanctity of life from womb to tomb. So whether you're an infant in the womb being knitted together by the spirit of God or you're an old man with wrinkles and gray hair coming to the end of your life, reflecting the glory of the ancient of days. Your life matters. Your life has value and worth. Your life is priceless. It is sacred to the Lord, your God, and not just your life, but the life of your neighbor, the life of your friend, your family members, the life of strangers, even the life of your enemies. Human life matters because men were made in the image and likeness of God, male and female. God created them. And there's something to that. To see that God has 
put within each human being a stamp of His image. God is the standard of right and wrong. He determines the value and the worth of His creation and His creatures, not us. God determines that. He calls us to be holy as He is holy, to reflect and imitate His holiness in the real life experiences that we have. We're called to live up to His holy standard. When it comes to life and death and human relationships, we strive to be a wholly different people. Not just for the sake of being different than the world, but for the sake of being like God in the world. Leviticus 19 establishes for us this sanctity of life principle. And throughout the chapter, it shows us that whether we are children in our parents' home looking up to mommy and daddy, or whether we are bumping into great-grandparents at the end of their life, we are to demonstrate this holiness and maintaining the sanctity of life. I'm moved by... The wisdom and the counsel given to us in the law of God and all the things contemplated in this chapter. There are other aspects of God's law that tap into this as well. Now, you might be wondering, what in the world does Leviticus 19 have to do with Psalm 139? Why did we jump? Is this guy? It's a two for one, right? I'm preaching two sermons instead of one sermon. But I'm trying to bridge the gap for you to see that the reason the psalmist can celebrate And rejoice in what God was doing in his life in the womb. Is because he recognizes that God sees human life as a sacred thing. Worthy of preserving. Worthy of protecting. Worthy of promoting in the world. So we must be pro-life in all the stages of life. But let me offer you a warning here. We cannot keep the sanctity of life principle merely from the skin out. That's the easy way to do it. We can't just fake it till we make it. It's a hypocritical way of doing it. We can't just keep the letter of the law and then ignore the spirit of the law. And those of you with theological minds out there know that the reason for that is because the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. What is the spirit of the law of the sanctity of life from Leviticus 19? What is the spirit of the law there? You heard it, didn't you? The heartbeat of the passage is love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the sojourner as you love yourself. It's repeated a couple of times to drive in the point. That what's driving us, what's moving us here is the love of God in us. And then the love of God worked out in our human relationships. The rationale for loving someone who is different than you, someone who is other than you, someone who doesn't share your citizenship, someone who is distinct from you in a variety of ways. The rationale that God's law gives us is that you're the same kind of different they are. Isn't that what he says? Love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Like our forefathers, we must remember that once upon a time, we were 
We were slaves and strangers. We were helpless and harassed. We were displaced and disabled. We were the ones needing a helping hand to get up on our feet, to get out of the dust, to come out of the ditch, to get to a higher place, to come to a better way of life. We were those people. And God condescended to us. He shows us what it means to love your neighbor as yourself because he is the truer and better neighbor. He loves us as himself in the person of Jesus Christ. The spirit of the law is love. The spirit of the law is love. And here we are reminded not to get above our raising. Not to act like we're somehow better than other people. We're reminded here to pay it forward, to pass it down, to show the same kindness and mercy to others that God has shown to us. This is how we preserve and maintain the sanctity of life according to the law of God. So the law of the Lord is fulfilled by this love of life. Now, the point of all of this is to remind us that, yes, the sanctity of life is for unborn babies, but it is not just for unborn babies. It is also for folks like us, but it is not just for folks like us. It is also for folks who are quite different than us. Who, if you scratch them a little bit and you got beneath the skin, you would see that we're all kin, as the kids like to say. It's easy to read Psalm 139 and think that what God did for the psalmist is a special case, a one-off, a never-repeated work of grace. But that is not the psalmist's point, is it? He's not simply saying, hey, everybody, look what God did for me. Na-na-na-na-boo-boo. He's not going to do that for you. No, that's not what he's doing. He's not thumbing his nose at us. He's singing on our behalf. He's reminding us that what God did for him is something that God does for others. At this point, some of you might be thinking. I thought he said we were going to talk about the gospel according to the Psalms. And here we've been talking about the law. But what about the gospel? Is there any hope for people who have had an abortion for people who at one time in their life were not as pro-life as God's law requires them to be? Is there any hope for people who have hated immigrants in their hearts and judged them? Is there any hope for people who despise refugees? Is there any hope for people who harass their neighbors? Who look down on little children because of all the noise they make and the trouble they cause? Is there any hope for people who look at teenagers and think, what a waste. They're wrecking their lives. They're ruining my life. They're too loud. Is there any hope for people who ignore the elderly in the nursing home? Who are content to stow them away and pay them no mind? Is there any hope for people like that? Well, I guess what I'm asking is, is there any hope for people like us who have experienced those things or done those things? Is there any hope for us? 
Is there any hope for people who have disobeyed other of God's laws? Or devalued human life or even destroyed life? Is there any hope for someone like me? And the answer is, yes. The hope and the help are found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So all of that guilt that you carry around, all of the shame that you feel, the fear that keeps you up at night and haunts you, you need to know whether you feel it or not is not the issue at this moment, but you need to know the truth that they are no match for the grace and mercy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his salvation is offered to you freely and graciously, generously. Yes, even for you, you and your friends, your family, you need to know that the gospel promises that God will destroy all sin and death. He will put the world to right. Yes, on a grand scale, but he can put your world to right. You can't undo what you've done. You can't unring the bell. But God can. He can undo what's been done. He can put things to right. He can fix what is broken. He can heal wounds no matter how old or how deep. And He can wipe every tear from your sorrowful eyes. He can do all of that. And He promises to do all of that for everyone who turns away from themselves and puts their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I said this is a mini-series on the gospel according to the psalm. But where is the gospel in this psalm? I want to give you a homework assignment. We can't check it tonight or maybe even next week. I'll never check it. But here's your homework assignment. Go home and read Psalm 139 as if it were the prayer of Jesus Christ. We just finished Christmas. We celebrated the coming of Christ into the world. The Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary. Jesus conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary grows. He's born into the world. Now with that as the backdrop, read Psalm 139. And what are you going to hear? You're going to hear the Lord Jesus Christ praying this psalm. The good news is that Psalm 139 is more than a prayer of David. It is the prayer of Jesus, the true and better David, the word made flesh who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And to help you along with your homework, let me put some things together for you. Like you, Jesus was shaped inside and out by God's spirit in Mary's womb. He was knitted together in his mother's womb. He was fearfully and wonderfully conceived. His frame was not hidden from God when he was developing in the womb, growing from a tiny embryo into a fully developed baby boy in his mother's womb. And in God's book were written all the days of Jesus's life. God knew the story of Jesus every day that was going to come before Jesus came into the world. 
He knew the end from the beginning. When the scriptures say that God loved the world like this, he sent his one and only son into the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but receive everlasting life. This is a part of the drama of that story, the drama of redemption. That Jesus came into the world and passed through all of the stages of gestation just to get to the cross for you. And that is the gospel. To get to the cross bearing the sins of the world, bearing your sins, bearing your sorrows. This is the good news. But the story that David celebrates about himself being formed in his mother's womb and the story that we point to about Jesus being formed in his mother's womb is a story that you could also celebrate in your own life. Whether you feel like you were conceived by accident or a surprise child or planned and brought into the world under the best of circumstances or the worst of circumstances, the psalmist reminds us that God has had his hand in your life and in your story from the beginning. And so you can find rest and hope in knowing that your life matters to God. You are worth far more than any pastor's words could ever describe to you. God loves you. He cares about you. He knows you from beginning to end. He knows the end of your story from the beginning. He's not surprised by things happening in your life, at least not as surprised as you are. He's not as disappointed as you might expect about the mishaps and the bad turns that you've taken. God draws straight lines with crooked sticks and those crooked sticks are the cross of Jesus Christ. It's there that God puts everything to right. So bring your broken story. Bring your bad decisions. Bring your sins. Bring your shame, your sorrow. Bring your guilt. Bring it all to Jesus. And you will find rest for your souls. And God will wipe away every tear from your eye.